Welcome to episode two of the Sleeper and the Bust podcast. I'm hosting this week. I'm Jason Collette, and Eno Saris is beside me. Good afternoon, bud. Yeah, that's episode 2.2, version 2.0, number two. There you go. Um, I'm, I, we're, we're both on a little sleep here, so uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get right to it. Uh, what was the first order of the day today? First order of the day uh, is talking about Carlos Beltran to the Yankees, which is now finally official. It seems so long ago that the the actual trade or signing was announced. We weren't sure if we talked about it last episode, so we're leading off today talking about Carlos Beltran joining the Bronx Bombers. Well, man, I I, I love Carlos Beltran, man. He's like uh, you know an amazing Avenue favorite, um, and and kind of like a counterculture in, in some in some ways because he got a lot of blame for. You know that that one failed uh, Mets um, Omar Minaya Mets run where he mm-hmm. he saw the curveball from Adam Wainwright and the season ended. Um, I don't necessarily think that's his uh, his fault. And um, I mean Wainwright has struck out a lot of people with curveballs, and um, and we always thought he was a great player that didn't deserve uh, much much blame for what happened there. So uh, I've always liked him. I think even at this point in his career where he can't play, you know, center, he can't almost play the outfield as much anymore. Um, and, you know, last year was disappointing in terms of walk rate, but uh, the power's still there and uh, he's aging well because he's coming off of such a great sort of athletic peak, I think. Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, he definitely is aging well. It's tough to believe that he's, you know, 36 turning 37 here. Uh, but the, the ballpark's obviously going to be a great fit for him. He's got He shows more power from the left side, so that'll be a nice fit for him. He's trying to make the push into the Hall of Fame, uh, and that's only going to both – playing in that ballpark is only going to help him, especially if they you know keep him in right field, give him some time to DH. That's going to help extend his career. I've always been a big fan of this guy, and as a guy who primarily plays AL-only leagues, I'm very happy that he's in the American League. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and also, uh, just from his health standpoint, I think uh, it'll be he's a decent bet for another, you know, Steamer has him for 515 or so played appearances. Um, but he's been pretty much at 600 for three years in a row. And with DH there to spell him, I uh, kind of feel like he can make it to 600 again. So, um, I mean, yeah, age says he'll, he'll get a ding here or there. But... Um, you know, DH just allows him, even if he's got a bad wheel or something, to still get in the lineup. So um, I like it. I do think that there's some interesting um, things that it means for the rest of the, the team. I mean, uh, it does make Ichiro like a, a fourth outfielder now. Which he should be. And, well, yeah, he should be. Or, or you know, a second division starter or, you know, something. You know, he's definitely not really a starter uh, on, a, on a team that, you know, perennial sort of championship contender team. Um and the, the the rap also is that like you know how how um, you know I did the math and, and basically with the the Thornton signing they're at like 188 million if A Rod um, gets suspended for the year so do they do they care about 189 million anymore that's the threshold at which the luxury tax implications uh, kick in for another couple of years or I, I know it costs them money if they go over 189 and they were they were thinking about staying under it but. You know, this team isn't, as it is right now, isn't enough. So unless they can get a third baseman or another infielder for Ichiro um, that's also, 
you know, that's either the same price or cheaper, um, or get someone to pick up all of Ichiro's $7 million, there, this team as it is, I don't see it uh, being a lot better than last year's. Yeah, I mean, the third base situation is going to be tough because there's nothing left in the free agent market, uh, just nothing there at all. And then the trade market uh, is equally barren. Uh, you look at, they've talked about playing Kelly Johnson at third base as somebody that's watched him uh, this past season in Tampa Bay. He doesn't have the reaction time necessary to play third base. He has the arm, can absolutely make the throws does not have the quick first reactions. So I'm going to be curious to see how that's going to play out. I'd rather see him play second base. If they could trade, if they could find a fit to trade Brett Gardner for a third baseman, there's been a lot of that Gardner for Phillips stuff, and that would make Kelly Johnson a primary third baseman. I, I'd be concerned about my Yankees pitchers from a fantasy perspective if that left side of the infield is Kelly Johnson and Derek Jeter. There's going to be a lot of ball, batted balls that get through there that shouldn't because between slow reactions and just you know slow twitch muscle at this point with, with Jeter, I think that's going to be an issue over there. So we'll see where it goes there. Um, maybe they leave the DH spot where it is. I know if they keep Gardner, then they could put Soriano at DH. But uh, I'd like to see them keep that DH spot open so they can rotate. They got an old roster, let's be honest. And a lot of these guys are old, so to give these some of these guys a day off at, at DH will be a nice play. I know the Rays are, are going to do that this year. They're not signing a DH as they have the last couple of years. They're just going to use that as a ro- as a day off uh, or half day off, as Joe Madden likes to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, the the and the other th- part of the the question is also, I mean. Maybe the the defensive questions are a little bit mitigated by the fact that I don't think they have a single left-hander um, in the starting rotation. Just outside of Sabathia. Oh yeah, so yeah, so CC might see some uh, some issues there on the on the on that side of the infield. Um, but with Pettit gone, you know that's one. But the the the, the they don't need they don't not, they don't have a full stack in terms of a pitching staff. Right. So I think they're going to blow by one eighty nine. Um, I think Phillips is a possibility if they're going to blow by one eighty nine. Why not? Um, if they take on all of Phillips' uh, 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 money, then and, and Phillips wants more money to go to New York, that's part of the problem. Uh, but if they give Phillips what he wants money-wise, um, you know, then it won't take uh, getting rid of Ichiro, and it won't take, um, uh, it, you know, they can blow by that. They can try to get another pitcher, and 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 they can, you know, they can just they need to do that because right now their fourth and fifth starters are are, are Phelps. And Pineda, and Pineda's coming off of labrum surgery, uh, doesn't have a third pitch, and Phelps, you know, it sort of has that little magical homer suppression thing that you don't know if you believe it or not. Yeah, I agree with all that. Maybe that's where they, maybe they redirect, uh, redirect their trade intentions over there to get some starting pitching. Because even on the free agent, it's going to be costly. If, if the the news is mixed on Tanaka, if he's going to post or not, there were some reports earlier today saying he wasn't. There's some other ones out there saying not so fast. Uh, but if he doesn't, that makes you know the demand for Garza and Santana and Jimenez stronger uh, and because there's no there's no way the Rays are trading within the division so that's going to open up the other three so we'll see where all that uh, where all that goes but moving over to Cleveland they picked up a closer this week yeah and I do think he's the closer I mean uh, you know that Cleveland is going to go into the season um, acting at least going into the season acting like a, uh, a contender so I think that means the free agent that came in on the money is the closer, and uh, that has the added benefit for them long-term of keeping Cody Allen cheap. Cody Allen might be a better pitcher, but, um, you know, there's no reason to thrust him into that right away and make him expensive when 
They brought in this guy. And, and one of the main reasons that Axford struggled is the homers. Um, that got better in the second half of the year. And Cleveland uh, would be one of the better parks he's ever pitched in, uh, or call home, in terms of homer suppression. Well, so Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. It got better after the first four games of the year, after the first yeah, the first uh, his issues when he had his problems his first four games this year, three in the third inning, nine hits, four home runs. Those were right <laughs> out of the gate. Nine earned runs. I mean, there's always the danger of ERA reliever ERA. He's the classic example of it because he just got bombed. After that, if you take those four games out of his stat line for the season, the WHIP was crap. It was 143, but he had a 2.92 ERA, and he only allowed six more home runs the rest of the way in 62 innings of work. So the issue was you know, more hits than innings pitched and a little bit of walk. So it sounds a lot like Chris Perez, the guy he's replacing. But a lot of his home run damage, you know, 40% of that came in his first four outings against, uh, who was it, the Milwaukee it was in Milwaukee. I'm trying to think who got to him uh, early on, but it was right out of the gate. Just home runs on back-to-back nights, and it was ugly, and a lot of people dropped him. And I said, you know what? Let's you know, try to keep him. He never did get any more saves, but at least you know, he ended up getting seven wins in a 292 ERA. So in the NL-only format, he did have some value down the stretch. Yeah, um, and uh, I kept him in my in that 20-team dynasty that he left behind, and uh, I'm pretty happy that I've got him now. But um one of the things that's funny uh, about that, it reminds me, he's no John Smoltz, but I remember John Smoltz had a season um, where he was a closer and he uh, and he had a bad week to start the season. And he actually said something like, you know, I'm going to spend all year trying to get this ERA down. Um, so uh, he did. He, he compared it to being a starter. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, that's definitely something to think about with him. I mean, he's obviously had Homer issues off and on over his career. He's a little bit wild. He pitches up in the zone with a fastball, but I mean, you know, I would say that I kind of like him a little better than Chris Perez. I mean, he has oh, more gas, more swinging strikes, you know, yes, he has control issues, but Chris Perez had control issues sometimes. So, you know, if they, they kept Chris Perez in the role when for like three years, when everybody said, what about Pistano? What about Pistano? What about Allen? So I just see this as another guy they're bringing in to be closer. Sure, by the end of the year, if they're falling out of contention, Axford's having a decent year and they can trade him, then maybe Allen's in there. Or Axford's not having a decent year, they don't feel like bringing him back, then Allen can get in there. But I don't think that from the get-go, Allen's in, in the role. Yeah, I agree, because a lot of times managers will get comfortable with where they have the guy. And obviously, Francota liked using Allen the way he did last year and, and liked using Smith, even though Smith's no longer part of this equation. But once you do that, so if you just immediately want to promote a guy based on skills into the role, then you've got to fill in the, other, the role to get the ball to him. And sometimes managers fall in the comfort levels. We've seen it with Tampa Bay. You know, everybody's wanting to make Jake McGee the next future closer. They go out and trade for Heath Bell instead uh, because he wants to be able to get the ball. So there's no guaranteed skills are always great, but sometimes managers just fall into some kind of habits. Staying with closers, uh, Arizona and Chicago made an interesting trade after the whole three-team deal uh, with Trumbo and Eaton and Santiago and all that. A few days later, they follow up and just do a straight one-for-one trade trading Addison Reed from Chicago to Arizona and sending Matt Davidson, who was part of the squeeze game with the new depth chart in Arizona, back to the White Sox. Yeah, I always loved Addison Reed because he came up through the minors with crazy, crazy strikeout mm-hmm. rates and, and crazy good command. And I just he just looked like he was going to take off. And, you know, I guess, it you know, 
minor league relievers, you know, he hasn't been, I don't think, as lights out as I kind of expected him to be. He's been good. Um, and I think, and I suspect he'll be a good closer. Uh, but there are a couple things that I'm kind of like, wow, he's an extreme fly ball guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, he survived in the cell, so I think he can survive in Arizona. And the other thing that uh, surprised me was that among pitchers that stayed um, in their role, among pitchers that uh, didn't, you know, go from the bullpen to starting or starting to bullpen, uh, he lost the eighth most velocity on his fastball in, in the bigs last year. He lost uh, almost two miles an hour. So I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't think there was an injury issue. He had 70 innings. Um, maybe it's not a big deal. He's still throwing 93. But, you know, relievers lose their gas pretty quickly. And if his, um, you know, skill set is based a lot on, on throwing 93, 94, then uh, we could see some erosion uh, starting as soon as now, even though he's only, you know, what, 20, 24 next year or 25 next year. Right. You know what's interesting even though he's lost some of that velocity, his contact rate improved. You look at his yeah. if you look at his, uh, his swing and miss rate, twenty one percent in two thousand twelve. It was twenty five and a half last season. So less velocity and better results in that regard. He, if you look at what he used, he went with that slider more. I'm looking at his usage chart, and he brought his slider usage up uh, back from where it was. If you look at compared two thousand twelve to two thousand thirteen. He scrapped yeah. the changeup. He was throwing some changeups. He said, screw it. I'm done with it. And he was just two-pitch guy last year, the fastball and the breaking ball. So that's that's really one of the reasons where he stepped. that's where he stepped it up. Be curious to see how it translates over. I mean, from ballpark effect, it's really that it's really a wash when you factor in what they yeah. had, what they had in Chicago. When you talk about ballpark effects, then go to Chase Field, it's a wash. And now he's gonna have a better outfield defense. So that 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 could help him there because you'll have some better ball hawks in the outfield. Well, at least in center field and right field. Trumbo may hurt him a few times, but uh, yeah. so, but I, I like that move, and I also like it for Chicago in a, in a context move. Matt Davidson may not be ready for the major leagues, but he's still better than anything Chicago had. He's a power prospect, and those guys are tough to develop there at the hot corner. Chicago's been struggling to, to get a third baseman, so I would say, since Robin Ventura. Uh, so th- I, I like the deal. I thought Davidson, as soon as they did the trade, uh, the three deal, the three team trade. Davidson was part of the squeeze game because Prado comes back to third base, and now Davidson was stuck. This gives him some playing time. So in the NL league, he's in my bottom tier of third baseman, but he's now draftable. Whereas beforehand, he was a reserve pick or in the AL league. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely not a mixed leaguer yet. Um, and you know, from a real life perspective, there is some risk there that um, you know scouts are a little bit split on his defense. Yes. You know, and if it's if it's bad enough that, you know, he adds all of a sudden to the first base corner outfield DH discussion, then he's back into a glut and, and there's a problem again. Um, we already know that Viciedo and Daza are either going to split time or there's going to be a trade there. Um, and uh, with Abreu, Canerco, and Dunn, uh, first base and DH are, are all tied up. So it's third base or bust. I actually think they're going to go with him. Um, you know, from the get-go, uh, the, I think this would be one of those teams where they're, they they claim they're rebuilding, but they're just gonna they're they're rebuilding with near major league or major league talent. So they're 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 thinking short-term rebuilding. They're thinking let's put all these guys on the field and see what we got and and go, uh, because I think Sale is the window. Yes, uh, I think they they look at Sale and they're like we've got him at one of the best contracts in baseball for. I, I forget how many years, but I think uh, another five years. It's ridiculous how cheap his contract is. 
Yeah, it's really nice. So they, that's their kind of window, and they need to know right away if Matt Davidson can be their third baseman. If he can, he'll be like an on. And if he ever makes it to mixed league, can, um, you know, relevance, it'll be more on base percentage uh, type stuff. Where maybe in his peak, he can have like a three thirty on base percentage, and 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 do like I think what I've been saying is Mark Reynolds, a young Mark Reynolds. Sure, he was useful. People people think of Mark Reynolds now, but. You know, when when Mark Reynolds was useful, younger and a third baseman and had good on base percentages, he was useful. Yeah, I definitely agree with all that. Like I said, he pulls him in play into an now he's AL only league, but it pulls him into draftable, whereas before he was a reserve pick. Getting back to closers, Grant Balfour finally signed, uh, finally gets a deal with Baltimore. I'm, I was kind of puzzled how he was sitting out there on the free agent market as long as he had been. We're talking about a guy in Oakland since he signed with the A's over the last three years of this deal. Opponents have a 253 weighted on base average against the guy and strikes out uh, one fourth of all the batters that he faces. Walk rates a tad high, but he was very good in his role. You compare you compare him statistically to what Joe Nathan's done, comparing to what Joaquin Benoit's done, you know, everything else. He lines up with all of them. And I thought the Orioles got a nice deal for him. And with that, they needed somebody like him in that bullpen because most of that Orioles bullpen is situational. Very good against righties, sucks against lefties, or vice versa. Right. Yeah, even Tommy Hunter, uh, fastball curve guys, curve loses half its whiffs against um, against lefties. So I feel like, you know, he's not uh, he's not a great fit for closer, even at 95 miles an hour. So uh, Balfour done, did something really weird. He, he kind of got some gas back mm-hmm. at, at his old age. Uh, maybe he, his his rage fueled him. Um, but I feel like. Um, you know, the only thing that worries me is that, you know, he's mostly pitched his entire career in pitchers' ballparks. Correct. Um, and yet, in two of the last three years, he's given up more than a homer per, per nine. So, um, you know, those two years he had kind of inflated homer rates instead of in terms of homer per fly ball. So maybe that was just bad luck. I mean, we were always talking about small samples and we are talking about relievers. But he is an extreme fly ball guy. And, uh, and in Baltimore, it's not necessarily about the size of the park. It's about the, the, the heat, uh, the temperature. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, a, it's the third hottest uh, park in baseball, um, which is kind of funny because people think of California as hot. But Oakland is not hot. O- Oakland is the coldest ballpark in baseball um, when you look at it as an average. So that's probably helped suppress some homers. But you know what? There's enough movement in these numbers. He could give up more homers and um, – you know, still have a, a, a three-ish ERA, a decent whip, and get all the saves he needs. He just needs to be lucky enough to space the homers out. You know, right. give up a homer every every couple of weeks instead of, you know, do an Axford, and all of a sudden everybody wants you out of the role. <laughs> I mean, I did, we, we know that Buck Showalter loves to use his closer. We're talking about a, um, Jim Johnson at back-to-back 50-save seasons. So it's not like Balfour is going to miss the opportunity, and – it took a lot for John. I think Johnson got a vacation there for about a week towards the end of the year uh, when he looked like he was out of gas. But it took a lot for Showalter to say, OK, I'm going to try to give the job to somebody else. But this job is ball for us. You mentioned Hunter. Hunter's got extreme splits. He's bad against lefties. Uh, it, it, that's why I never believed for a moment he was a future closer. There's just too much. There's too much splits going on there. So this move is nice. Uh, what I do like about it, I mentioned, you know, contact rate. His contract uh, contact rate against batters has improved each of the past three seasons. 
So it, it was 80% his first year in Oakland, then it went to 76, and now it's down to 73. So batters are making less and less contact against him, and that speaks to his stuff. If he misses, if he hangs a slider, it's going to get crushed. If he misses his fastball location, that's going to get crushed. But that's, I mean, that's pitching. That's what happens. So I don't think he's, I just think this is a nice fit for him. If everything falls in place, this could be a guy that's going to be picking up 40 saves just because of the way Baltimore plays their games. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I think uh, that is a really good point, actually, that uh, that Johnson didn't have a great season and managed to hold on to his account, so uh, to his to his job. So I feel like that's uh, that was a good way to, to put it. So, I, you know, I, I, I think he'll be I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it's always hard to know how the market's going to value these guys. Um, and especially once we start talking about these sort of things, we can say, well, I'm a little bit worried about his homer rate, and somehow that turns into a you know butterfly effect, and everyone hates ball four all of a sudden, and then he drops too far. I mean, you know, I don't hate ball four. He's he's going to be on my teams because I never get the the elite closers anyway. Right, I, I think last year nobody really liked him. I I remember I got Balfour in, in AL Tout Wars for twelve, thirteen, fourteen, somewhere right around there, and he was my primary guy. I mean, I had him. This is the guy I want him. I liked what I saw growth wise from two thousand eleven and two thousand twelve. I had him circled, say I'm going to get him, and I ended up getting him in like four different leagues, and um, because I just knew the opportunity was there. You look at the the skills, the way that Oakland bullpen was set up. I thought he had the best chance. And they ended up doing it. So I think this year he, he'll get a, a little bit of a bump where he's been a value in the past. I don't think there's going to be value there this year. Yeah, it might be true. All right, next guy. I'm going to let you rant on this one for a little bit. Bartolo Colon is now a member of the Amazons. Yeah, you know, I really, <laughs> really hated that. Going, I had to write the piece for Fangraphs on it, and I really hated it. Uh, the, my first... Like, I was taking a piss, <laughs> and I was just, and, you know, I got a text and was like, ah, and uh, I forget who was next to me. I think, me. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> um, and uh, and I just, like, you know, I knew that I had to go write it up, so I, I went and uh, uh, I, I, I tried to be as open-minded about it as I can, and it actually does fit into um it does fit into the uh uh the market i mean you look at him versus like uh, tim hudson uh scott casimir for each of these guys you know casimir and hudson cost more because there's you know because they're younger you know but casimir you know was the youngest but had the most risk so there's a lot of like uh reasons that it totally it fit into the market i mean two two for 20 is like that seems about right but at the same time, his age, you know, there's like uh, probably 20, uh, uh, 20 pitchers over the age of 40 since 1974 that have had a qualified pitching season at all. You know, so he's already he's kind of past. I said he's past the end of the aging curve. You know, he's he's his own man way out there, a little dot on the, you know, past the end of the aging curve. And uh, we don't know what it's going to look like. And and. You know, I didn't talk about it at all, but you know that the, the, the steroid suspension, you know, has to figure in. And, uh, and you know, it's just really hard to, to, to look at all of this and say, uh, this is a great deal for, you know, a rebuilding team. I mean, maybe it's a stopgap that maybe he'll be helpful, you know, as their fifth starter next year for half the season when before Cindergaard comes up or something like that. But, um, you know, I, you know, I don't really love it. 
it, the crazy thing about him, and I want to talk about another player on the heels uh, of, of Cologne. I agree with you. The aging curve, he's like way out of – he's almost like a planet that's on the outer edge of the solar system at this point. He's as big as a planet. But it, it, the way this works skills-wise, he's getting better as he gets older. You know, I mentioned you know, opponents weighted on base average has, has been in decline. They're getting – they're having less and less success against him, 354, 321, 297, and then 288 this past season. So the, everything else, the strikeout rates, you know, he's walking fewer batters, the strikeout rate's stable, but he's getting – he's been tougher and tougher to hit out there in Oakland. He just pounds the strike zone with fastballs and makes you hit his pitch. He, does, he doesn't really give you a chance to, you know, get on base via a walk or anything. He's going to be right around the edges of the strike zone, changing eye levels, moving you back and forth. And doing that, but I agree with you. Ten million seems to be a hefty price to pay for a guy that has pitched more than 160 innings just twice in the past four seasons, and one of those was barely uh, it was 164 inning season. So that's where I'm kind of puzzled with it. It's it's a safe pick. He's always gone. We always make a joke in tout words because Matthew Barry always ended up with him, and it was always for a dollar or two. It was never any more than that. But then, you know, last year everybody laughed when, like, oh, he's been a dollar on him, and he went 18 and 6 with a 265 ERA and a 117 whip. So stuff like yeah. this happens. And the other guy, uh, from the hitting perspective, Roll Abanez, you know, he just signed with the, the Angels. He's well beyond the aging curve as well. I mean, he's been a guy that's been DFA'd. They laughed when he was signed with the Phillies, they laughed when the Yankees signed him. And then Abanez goes out and hits 29 home runs last year for the Mariners and just continues to produce when everybody's like, how is he doing this? And now he gets another year to try it again. Yeah, and uh, at least it's, I mean, uh, at least it's not an extreme ballpark change. I mean, it is one. Uh, people think that City Field is a pitcher's park, but uh, most of the park factors I've seen rated as slightly uh, hitter friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did make that change to the walls, so... Um, I feel like, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, high threes ERA, uh, I think he's going to be on the DL, uh, oh, yeah. you know, he's going to take some time off. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess maybe the postseason won't be as big a deal. So maybe it'll be, you know, he'll take a time off in the middle of the season and, and finish strong. But, um, uh, you know, it always seemed like they were managing him and he's not, uh, you know, in Oakland, when you know some people say, "Oh, well, he can always move the bullpen at the end of this if um, if if uh, the other guys come up, if Syndergaard's ready and Montero and blah blah blah," uh, I would I would say that's not going to happen uh, because uh, there was an opportunity for him to come out of the bullpen for Sonny Gray in the playoffs against Detroit, um, and everybody in the ballpark, nobody would say why, nobody would say he won't do it. But everybody danced around it, and it was basically clear that Bartolo Colon would not come out of the bullpen and would not and was mad about the situation and thought of himself as a starter. So it's starter or bust with him. You know, fifth starter, maybe that's okay. You know, you know he's still starting, but he's not going to come out of the bullpen for anybody. Yeah, I think he's still a one or two dollar player, even with the league switch. Uh, so that, your, but your thoughts on the Abanias move by the Angels? Yeah, I mean, we don't have to. We're not GMs, and uh, unless you're in score sheet or a sim league, you don't have to to worry about the fact that Raleigh Banez is one of the worst uh, defenders of all time. Um, so you know that's part of why his 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 you know wins above replacement totals look so terrible, even though he hit 29 homers. Um, and it looks like they'll probably just slot him in to be the DH. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm through betting against him, you know, do I, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be 29 homers and I think he'll miss some time again, but he did 29 homers in less than 500 plate appearances last year. So, um, you know, uh, I'd say write him down for 250 and 20 homers. Somebody asked me earlier today, you know, what, what my home run total would be. I said, give me the under at 15. And the only, I look, when I look at him, I know it's tough to bet against him, but I'm looking at a guy whose home run to fly ball ratio has gone up each of the past four seasons. 9.4, <laughs> 12.3, and then a fat 20 this past year. And, the, and it was league average when he was good, like when he was in his peak. Yes. Years. And then the, the big thing is, that, I mean, he clearly was like, I'm just going to try to crush everything. His strikeout rate went from 16.8 to, I'm sorry, from 15.8 to 25.8 last year. So he basically Worth said, it. forget it. I'm just going to try to rip everything and hit it as hard as I can. And he did it. But, I mean, we're talking about when you go look at age 41 and older seasons just by OPS plus on uh, – go use the play index. There's not a lot of good stuff out there. There's Barry Bonds blowing the curb for everybody. There's uh, Carlton Fisk having one good year. And there's Daryl Evans having a decent year. And it pretty much tapers off after that. So that's why I'm like, I don't know if he can sustain. I mean, the ballpark's a neutral switch because Anaheim, it's, you know, it's just pretty much where Seattle was last year. But I don't know if you could make that 20% home run to fly ball ratio. Something's got to give there. And he had a lot of home runs. He was hot there for one point, but eventually he started to cool off a little bit. Something's got to give. You can't just grip it and rip it like that. Pitchers are going to start throwing you more off speed stuff, do something to change it. That's why I'm like, I'm very pessimistic about him. You know, if I, you know, plus he's a DH only guy. So if you're in an American league, I don't believe he qualifies at a position. So he's a guy that you could absolutely wait until the end of the draft and spend a dollar on. If you have your utility spot open, so, I mean, you don't want to have to, if he comes up early in the auction, let or you know, if you're in an auction, let somebody else say two dollars. Stick your guy, make him. I hate having my my utility spot filled early in the draft by a guy like this. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, utility only is just a killer. Um, but you know, there's always a chance for arbitrage, especially with really deep rosters where you know he could be a bench slot guy and you just pick him up. Uh, you know, in that twenty team league that that you and I uh, that you used to be in. For example, the the uh, the draft is horrid. Yes, I mean it's a twenty team keeper, and we all keep twenty eight players. So we're looking at some nasty people in the draft. And you know, if Raul Ibanez is there for me, I could use him. There's a play. I'm just double checking. Um, yeah, Ab- wow, Ibanez actually played that many games in the outfield. Excuse me. <laughs> I had no idea he had that much playing time. I thought he just lived over there. Yikes. So that's because Morales had all the time at DH. I just didn't realize Abanez played that much in the outfield. East Coast bias in play. Uh, speaking of DH only, uh, Michael Morris, a guy that should be a DH only, uh, is now going to be the primary left fielder and kind of first baseman at times uh, for the Giants. Your thoughts on that move? Yeah, I wanted them to uh, to, to pick up Reggiano. Um, and... Uh, I just thought that Reggiano offered more depth to them as a National League team in terms of being able to play all three outfield slots. Um, and he had a better walk rate and was just sort of a better real-life player. So in, in the real-life sense of it, um, I didn't love it. They didn't have to give up any prospect or anything. But I don't, I don't think that the prospect that uh, Reggiano got back is going to be worth that much. So uh, I would probably have taken Reggiano over him. Um, 
But uh, I think what the signing shows is that uh, Sabian was valuing power. Um, I mean, I guess Rajano uh, has some power for me, but uh, he was valuing power and he wanted a, a power hitter. And, um, you know, I think Blanco is just fine. So I don't know why Morris all of a sudden is a starting left fielder. And I sort of doubt it'll last all year. Uh, agreed. I mean- he wasn't healthy last year, so you have to give the, the lack of power there a little bit of a ding. I just it, this is an odd fit for a National League club. This guy clearly lumbers around the field. We're, we're already seeing some decline on his out of zone contact, so that's that's already going on the wayside. Stuff in the zone is was a bit off last year. The power is definitely there. The power potential, you know, a lot of times let's say like could he. Could he be this year's Marlon Bird, a guy that everybody kind of like, whatever, his better days are behind him, and then Bird come bust out and bops the 24 home runs that he hit last year? You know, could he do this? Maybe. He hit 31 home runs just two seasons ago, so it's not impossible. But yeah, I'm pessimistic on this. I don't like, I'm not crazy about this move. He's younger than Marlon Bird was when he signed with the Mets, so that's a good point. Um, and he doesn't, I, he did get busted for steroids actually. Yeah. Long time. Uh, he was one of the early ones to get popped in the minors, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, that was a long time ago. Um, yeah, you know, but then you have to think about the park. The park is uh, more extreme than, uh, than city field. So, uh, you know, 270, 20, 25 homers, super cheap. You know, it's all about cost, man. If somebody thinks he's, you know, the 291 hitter from two years ago or the 31 homer hitter from two years uh, from three years ago, then then you're not going to have a trading partner or you're not going to have you're going to have somebody who bids more than you. But if you're talking a dollar, two dollar player. Sure. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see where he goes. I just that was to me, that was a move that was like. I, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on here, but we'll see. There's power potential there. You can bid on the power potential, but after that, it's a little iffy. Um, the other move with the, with the, go ahead. With the bad defense, you also uh, have the chance of losing plate appearances, like you're having them siphoned off on the back end. And so all of a sudden, you're only getting like three plate appearances a game because Gregor Blanco comes in for him every time they get a lead. Yeah, and, and people may say, and, you know, he's got the arm to play right field. Yeah, so what? He doesn't have the footwork to play right field, especially at that yeah. ballpark. With that gap, the right center, I can't imagine him playing right field. You're not going to want I mean, Pence is comfortable out there. He does a decent job. You're not going to move him around. So let's say Pence gets hurt. Do you, people may logically say, oh, this is move Morse to right field. It won't. It doesn't work like that. If he's out there, that, that'll be an adventure. Uh, but yeah. a better defensive outfielder, uh, for the most part, Nate McLeod signs with the Nationals. They had a, a need for a better fourth outfielder, uh, some more outfield depth. It was pretty top-heavy last year. So adding McLeod gives them an option. Uh, one, th- one of the concerns I had with him last year, he was great. You look at the 30 steals and, set and such last year. But 24 of those came in the first three months of the year. The rest of the way, from July 1st on last year, he hit 233, stole six bases. That was all of his value was front-loaded last year. He faded off there in the second half, and I don't I don't know really what it came from, but you look at his overall production, you're like, wow, not bad. But it was very, very front-heavy. It's true. Um, you know, the one thing I did like about uh, what he did all season, though, was um, the new strikeout rate. I don't know. I think it's mostly because they stopped playing him against lefties. Um, and I think that last year's numbers are a little bit better in line with uh, if you just look at his past uh, splits against righties. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you if you hide him, um, if you hit him last year like they could hide, hide him, then then uh, you probably got some value out of him. But now... 
now you're just screwed. I mean, there's no, it's really hard to see uh, his path because, um, you know, Harper's young. Uh, he does get hurt sometimes. So maybe, maybe he'll find some time there. Spawn is not as young as he used to be, but he's a much better defender in center. Yes. And Jason Worth will get hurt, um, you know, most likely. But, um, you know, depend, de- deciding when that's going to be. I think McLeod is just a guy that you remember is one of the best uh, fourth outfielders in the game and is therefore someone to sort of not run to the waiver wire, but someone to go to the waiver wire and get uh, once you hear like a Worth or a Harper is hurt. Right. And here's the issue with him. You look at his plate appearance totals. Last year was 593. The two seasons before, 298 and 321. Because of what you just mentioned, because of Worth and, and Span and Harper, you know, it's tough to see him getting 350 plate appearances this year. So if you're looking at him as a, oh, a, a, a sleeper source for steals, you got to remember we're talking about a new manager and less playing time. So, you know, can he get to 20 steals? Don't know. If you're looking at the way things are projecting right now, I'm looking more, you know, use 2012 as your baseline for him. Somebody hit about 250, stole 12 bags, had, you know, the seven to 10 home runs. That should be your baseline for McLeod for 2014. Yeah. And another thing uh, that's interesting about that is that a part time player doesn't usually play uh, at the top of the lineup. So um, even if he uh, cobbles together some decent plate appearances, let's say um, 50 or so as the DH. Um, or, you know, yeah, 50 or so is the DH, um, or he doesn't necessarily have to be the DH, but 50 or so in games when they have to have a DH. Um, and then, uh, maybe a hundred at the corner outfield spots. Maybe, yeah, maybe he gets up to about a 300, 350. Um, he's never going to be, they're not going to put him in the leadoff or first or second because in the, in the lineup, because he'll be, you know, I think managers like to stick with guys. So, you know, spawn will be. You know, in the in the, in the one hole, and whoever's in the two hole is in the two hole, and then you know, maybe Rendon is in the two hole, and then they'll just uh, they'll just put McLeod in the bottom, and that that's people don't run as much, especially if he's in hitting in the eighth spot. People don't run at all there. Yeah, definitely, especially in the National League with things. Um, his replacement now in Baltimore is David Lowe. Uh, came across in a trade yesterday where they sent. Danny Valencia over to Kansas City and got low back. So low now becomes the new McLeod with the Orioles. Uh, immediate reactions to that for me, you know, this is a guy that did not run that much under Ned Yost. Ned Yost is a very aggressive manager with stolen bases. So coming to Buck Showalter, who also tends to be aggressive, I don't see this as any kind of production ad. Last year he had, had a high batting average, uh, hit rate, you know, 326 bad bit. So I, you know, this is repeatable when I look and see what he does. He's mostly a defensive, defensive first guy. You know, more relevant score sheet than he's going to be in real fantasy. I, this is a downgrade to me as far as uh, from McLeod to low from a fantasy perspective in that capacity for the Orioles. Yeah, but he's cheaper, and you know, if uh, if if Johnson is uh, a little bit more stable than Ball Four, uh, Ball Four was cheaper, four million cheaper, and uh, if if. Lowe is not as great as, as McLeod to use $4 million cheaper or, or more. So, um, you know, this is why I don't think that uh, the Orioles are, unless they're going to use all that money on Morales, I don't think that I see uh, the Orioles spending much money. Uh, they seem to be working like penny pinchers. And, um, you know, even though Lowe was pretty good for me in, in uh, AL Labor last year as a, as a pickup, waiver wire pickup, just, you know, because he played and mm-hmm. he had a good batting average. Um, I actually think that he may not even start all the time. 
he doesn't have bad platoon splits, but there's a guy, Steve Pierce, um, who hits lefties well. And, um, you know, if you just look at Steve Pierce versus lefties, his projection is probably better than uh, than Moe's against lefties. Oh, and this is probably the year that this is probably the year that Nolan Reimold actually does something as well, right? Right, right. <laughs> and then you have to remember him. He's there too. So. Still there. <laughs> he's still there. And they signed him to a one and a half million dollar deal, major league deal. So um, he's there. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm done with Reimold. I mean, maybe, maybe I'll pick him up in the deepest of my leagues, but I am done with him because I have been touting him as a sleeper for two years now and I'm tired of it. And now he's old. He's like, I think he's even over 30. So he's been injured all the time and he hasn't really shown the patience and pop that I thought he was going to show. So I'm done with Reimold, but it's worth mentioning Reimold because you've got Pierce, um, you know, against lefties, probably low, maybe against righties. You got DH, but uh, Urutia, um, who is too skinny, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Leslie Anderson, but uh, <laughs> which is that would be really bad. That's the bad end. But Urutia can make contact, have a nice batting average, be an okay DH. Uh, but they're they're they've got a lot of guys there, and if they add Morales to it, then it's then it's even harder for everybody. And I don't think that low separates himself enough. So if Reimold is healthy, he can still take the job from low. Uh, if Pierce shows that he's better against righties than he has been in the past, then he can take the job from low. So, I mean, because low looks like a guy who could be a, a good fourth outfielder in terms of um, defense yes. and fucking play and, and, you know, that way. So uh, I would say that starting left field is not really set in stone, even though it looks like low is probably in first seat right now right it was it's a good move from baltimore from their strengths because anytime you can trade a guy that's on the short side of a platoon for a guy who could potentially be an everyday outfielder it's a win-win i mean valencia rakes lefties does not hit righties i think it actually at the fact that he plays third base mostly and the fact that the team was comfortable trading him should kind of tell you where they think manny machado's recovery is this offseason so i think that's a good that's a good news if you're a, a machado owner in a keeper league the fact that they get basically traded away his insurance policy so that should work well now we mentioned earlier about the the issues that the white Sox have had at third base the royals finally stepped up and did something about their second base situation which has seemingly been a problem since oh i don't know you know 20 years uh, it seems like but they went out <laughs> and traded for omar or signed rather omar and fonte yeah, and um, you know he's uh, probably uh, one of his better real life players than uh, I mean he's definitely a better real life player than fantasy mm-hmm. player. He's uh, his career high in homers is uh, 16, and that happened in 2004. And uh, he stole 17 bases in 2012, but I don't think he's going to see double digits again. So, in fact, I don't think I'd project him for double digits in either homers or steals next year. So you've got basically what you know we call an empty batting average. I would disagree with you a little bit. I think because of the way the ballpark plays, I think there's a potential. I mean, he's hit 10, 10 and 12 over the past two years. So maybe he does that. But I mentioned earlier, Ned Yost, very aggressive guy with stolen bases. He lets his guys run. So I think under that kind of influence, let's remember last year, Infante was playing for Jim Leland, who doesn't let anybody run. So he's going from a, a complete restrictor plate of a manager to somebody with a lead foot. So I think there may be a, a potential for some more stolen bases here because he, he did steal 17 at one point when he had the opportunities. He was 17 for 20. He's 22 of his last 27. So he does have efficiency. He's good at doing that. So Ned Yost can say, you know what? You've earned your opportunities. Go. So I think there's a potential for sleeper double-double based on ballpark and managerial effect here. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe sneak them in there at 10 and 10. But, um, you know, then you're you're depending in, – in order to get him up to mixed league value, you're depending on the Royals' offense, and you're depending on him being at the top of the Royals' offense, which uh, it could be the case. I mean, you know, if, if Ned likes uh, speed so much, he might, uh, he might stick him at the top. He makes a lot of contact, but he doesn't walk a lot, not in most years. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's kind of a weird uh, leadoff guy. Um, and if he's not leadoff, then maybe he won't really have the runs in RBI to be, you know, we're talking about being top 12 at your position, really. And um, I think he'll be right there at the bottom, um, maybe top 15 or something. Agreed. Uh, sticking with the position, Mark Ellis signed with the Cardinals. This basically reads as Colton Wong insurance. Uh or even a, a platoon at second base. Wong hits lefty. Ellis hits lefties very well. So at worst, he gets the short side of a platoon situation. But I thought this was a rather solid signing. It's going to cut into his playing time, but used effectively. I think this could be a, a good play for your middle infield pick in an NL only league. Maybe. Uh, I think it's one of those uh, kind of scorched earth things for fantasy. It's a really good real life signing, but I, I think it kind of torches uh, him and Colton Wong in a way. Because for me, Colton Wong was already um, an, if, an iffy sleeper. I know that he's been getting on sleeper lists and stuff, yes. but I just, I'm a little worried about the power. You know, I, 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 I don't think he's necessarily going to hit more than 10 homers, and he definitely, now that he's more of a two thirds guy, I think 10 homers is out of his reach. Um, you know, maybe he can get double digits and steals. He did steal uh, 20 with one caught stealing in in, um, in the minors last year, and he did steal some in the majors. So, you know, they they are going to let him go a little bit. But I don't see the uh, the Cardinals as a big uh, stolen base team. Um, so you're talking about a guy now, 260, 270, five homers, 10 steals. I mean, none of this is exciting to me. Uh, and then if you, you're talking about Ellis, now you're talking about a guy who is a one-third player. I mean, both of these guys, it's going to be rough. I think um, unless, you know, Wong just takes it uh, from the beginning and, and has a great spring and they give him all the at-bats and they say, we're, we're going with Colton Wong and Mark Ellis is a backup, which is, is, is possible on those contracts. It's still, you know, it's still a way they could go. But I would uh, – I'd probably stay away. Yep. I, 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 this is definitely a better – a better uh, real-life move than it is a fantasy move. Him going there helps the Cardinals. It really doesn't help his fantasy value as much. But you know that is where the move goes. Uh, moving over, going on to the outfield, you mentioned Justin Ruggiano earlier. I want to let you talk about him before I talk about him because I think we have very different points of view on this guy. Who is that? Uh, Ruggiano, going at the Cubs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know that you uh... – you haven't been a big fan, but uh, Podhorzer was uh, Podhorzer was a big fan, um, and uh, so we always had an, an ongoing joke with him. Um, you know, obviously the contact rate's a big deal, um, and he's already old, uh, so I, he's going to be 32 this year. And uh, you know, old is not kind to you know a fringe player that um, you know can't make contact. So. I understand that those are the issues, but um, I believe in his patience, and I believe when he does make uh, contact, he uh, has power, and I believe in his defense, um, and I believe in his tools. So uh, I think that he can be, um, you know, a sort of – I hate to always make this sort of confidence. Mike Cameron-esque kind of uh, low batting average power and, and steals guy. And, you know, if he can at least fake center field, which is where I would defer to you, 
Um, if you can play center field at all, I don't think that they necessarily have a solution center field right now. I have no problem with him defensively. I mean, he, he can hold his zone. And to me, it just all of his offensive value is with him hitting fastballs. That's it. He is whole, he's got something about a 110 point split in his weighted on base average between fastballs and every other non fastball pitch. He can't hit righties. He hits lefties well. So if you're a lefty and you're throwing him a fastball, you're asking for trouble. But anybody else should be able to get this guy out. And despite the fact, you know, he, he does have a lot of swing and miss in his game, and he doesn't walk that often. So to me, this is something that could. I've always thought of this as a smoke and mirrors kind of play because there was a reason why Tampa Bay kept sending him up and down, up and down. I mean, he, like I said, strikeout rate is high. He can take a walk, but he's not a very disciplined hitter in that regard. And he does have the ability to hit for power. But like I said, it's all predicated on the fastball. If the league stops throwing him fastballs, he's going to stop hitting home runs. He just does not hit them off secondary pitches. Well, that's interesting because, um, you know, he obviously fell out of favor on one rebuilding club and is now with another. Um, and I guess his major competition is Junior Lake um, or he becomes a platoon partner for Nate Sherholtz. So uh, maybe that's uh, maybe that's what happens. He's a great – I mean, for he and Nate Sherholtz would be an awesome pair. I think that would be a very productive pair. But here was the, here was the OPS split. It was – 371 on fastball on uh, the weighted on base average rather 371 on fastballs 273 on everything else mm. that's that, that's your big gap but I think he and, and Sheerholtz because Sheerholtz had a great season because he was used effectively they basically sat him against every left-handed pitcher they could and if, if you were to pair those guys up it would work I just don't think they added Ruggiano to be a platoon guy I think he's going to get a lot of playing time um, so well, I don't know about that I don't know about that because um, you know, at 32, I don't think he's part of the future. And even though, uh, you know, certain uh, prospect people have uh, been really down on Junior Lake, um, and I, I understand why people are down on Junior Lake. It's, it's obvious he's, he, you know, he's a free swinger. He doesn't have any approach at the plate. It's all tools. It's totally scary. But, you know, Alfonso Soriano made the package like that work. Yes. And it's not, it's not a thing to bet on you know it's a bad thing to bet on the bust rate on this type of prospect is super high um and i, I would anybody wants to read more on that chris st john mm -hmm. uh, does great stuff on that and, and he he's he basically puts junior lake into base like a 20 percent um uh success rate uh place so you know eight out of ten junior lakes don't work out but this junior lake has already put in 250 plate appearance of decent work uh high babbit but decent work and uh, and I think that they're really just going to give him the season. I think they're going to give him center field, and they're going to say, you know, can you even be a Corey Patterson? And uh, they're just going to they're going to see what they've got because I don't think I, I don't know Matt Caesar. Um, you know, I don't know if he's a major leaguer, um, and they haven't really given him a shot yet. Uh, Brett Jackson, you know, has strikeout problems like nobody's business. Yeah. Uh, so I think. You know, it's sort of like we're going to give these people shots, and if nobody works out this year, uh, it's not going to be Reggiano that we're going to depend on next year. Right. So 
uh, it's going to be Junior Lake or it's going to be Matt Caesar or it's going to be uh, Brett Jackson. And if it's none of those guys, they're going to look outside the organization. I mean, to Ruggiano's credit, he does have back-to-back years of double-digit home runs and stolen bases. Uh, not that great in, in converting his stolen bases, 29 of 45. He's been caught eight times each of the past two seasons. So we'll see how he, a new manager uh, treats that and says, wait a sec, I'm not going to let you run into outs like this. So that's why I'm just more pessimistic, having seen the player a lot, looking at the numbers, saying, okay, eventually somebody's going to stop throwing the guy fastballs. But he does he does help you in the counting categories. We saw the the 401 bad bip in 2012 helped his batting average. What he did last year, 222, is more realistic. This is the guy who's going to struggle to hit 250. But if he gets the playing time, he will produce in the counting categories at least two of the three of them, the home runs of steals, because he, he is a, he's a pretty darn good athlete. Yeah. Yeah, and if Junior Lake doesn't work out, you know, it's not like Matt Caesar and Brett Jackson are a, a great deal to work out either either way. And, you know, there are a lot of moving parts there. And, and Ryan Sweeney is not really, you know, someone to depend on. So Reggiano, you know, yeah, okay. Who gets uh, more plate appearances this year, Reggiano or Nate McLeod? McLeod? Uh, Reggiano. I think so. I think so. The guys in front of uh, Reggiano are worse. Correct, correct. Yeah. Um, switching so, over to non-athlete, uh, Joba Chamberlain signs with the uh, with the uh, <laughs> Tigers. Uh, good segue. Yeah, <laughs> I try to look for everything. Uh, there, there's the potential for this to be good. I mean, we if you think of Joba in his prime and looking at Al Albuquerque, I mean, it could be death by slider to a lot of guys in the AL Central. My concern is the stuff just isn't as sharp. I know he struggled with the injuries. But what really stands out to me is looking at his, you know, his contact rate. 2012, his contact rate was 70%. Last year, 77%. That's a big jump. And, and, and because that's the, the efficiency and, and the effectiveness of that slider was just not there last year. It just did not look as sharp. And when you, if you turn Joba into a one-pitch pitcher, he's very hittable. Yeah, um, and you know I have to defer sometimes to the uh, the guys um, watching him in New York. They, you know, I always you know sort of liked him as as having uh, you know as being okay. But um, the uh, the guys in New York uh, they think that the slider sucks now. You know, mm-hmm. the guys uh, the guys have to watch him all the time. So um, I don't know. I don't know what that means, you know, scout-wise or whatever. But, um, you know, and the, the deal was pretty small, um, you know, and you're kind of depending on on, on Joe Nathan to, to implode, which, he, you know, he's old enough, you know, he's old enough that that's possible. But, um, you know, I think that it's a reclamation project type deal. I put him behind uh, Albuquerque, for example, um, you know, in chance for saves. And, um, but you know, I, I'll keep an eye on him. I mean, he definitely has done stuff in the past that means that he could do it again in the future. Right. I mean, the, the, the slider, if you look at the slider, a couple of things that stand out, it used to be a great chase pitch. And when that slider's right, batters have a tough time staying off it. That was not the case last year. You know, just the, just batters swinging at a, at a slider last year, uh, two years ago, 61% swing rate last year, it's 44. So more than half the time batters just spit on the slider and let it go. 
And then when you look at swing and miss rate, that would drop down 6%, where they were swinging and missing at one of every two sliders. It went down to 43%. So I agree with everything, you know, talking to the guys at River Avenue Blues uh, and all the Yankee fans. They're like, yeah, that slider sucked last year. I saw him pitch against the Rays quite a bit, and, yeah, it was garbage. It just wasn't the same. You could see the velocity was all right, but it was that. If he couldn't get ahead of you, he just went back with more fastballs. He wasn't confident throwing that slider unless he was ahead. And even then, he wasn't getting good uh, results as a chase pitch off that. So it's a low-risk move for them. There's a lot of live arms in that bullpen, um, and we'll see where it plays out for them. Another low-risk move is Gavin Floyd going to the Braves as they as they look to add their latest reclamation project. Yeah. Floyd used to be um, one of those uh, big FIP minus ERA mm-hmm. guys. Uh, where you're always wondering why he didn't uh, why he didn't perform better, but I think it's pretty obvious now that he's a homeritis guy, um, and uh, that's that's the source of his big ERAs. Obviously, you know, moving back into the National League could help that a little bit. Um, and Steamer, I think, um, likes his move to the National League. It's the, giving him his best home run rate, um, his second best home run rate of his career uh, next year. So. Um, you know, he's still got the swing of strikes and a little limited sample, and he's always gotten those. Yes. Um, and it could be just going to the National League is what he needs. But um, what's the uh, what's the surgery that he had? That's the thing. He had the Tommy John surgery. He had it in May. So you, it would be unlikely that he's going to be back to start the season. So you figure he's going to miss a month, and we know with Tommy John guys, velocity comes back. It's always a command that's the last thing to come back. And that's what that's what worries me here with him is, you know, the walk rate has been, over the last couple seasons, last year was just only five starts, but even in 2012, walk rate was 9%. You look at, you know, his how many pitches he was throwing for strikes, it was 47% how often he was in the zone, which is below average for a league starter, uh, below league average for a starter, rather. So there were already some concerns there. So And we're talking about a guy that struggles with home runs, and most of the the recipe for home runs is pitches that you don't command well. If command's the last thing that comes back, I think this could have a, a, a rather disastrous early early thing for him. If I'm in an I'm not touching him in a mixed league. If I'm in an NL league, I'll wait for – if he falls for the reserve round, I'll stash him away there. But I think there's better end game picks in a National League uh, than this. Uh, there's potential here, but I don't like it early on. This would be a guy that I'd wait for somebody else to draft, cut, and then I'll go get him. Yeah, and one thing that one thing that I would say though, um, I do I okay on the negative side beyond what you've said um, is the fact that this is a decent rotation. You got Minor, Tehran, Medlin, Beachy, and even though Alex Wood has disastrous um, um, uh, mechanics, um, he he had he had a good first season, um, and I think he has short term value. Um, so uh, and then David Hale. Uh, they said he would get a shot at a rotation spot. So you've already got a good six uh, deep. And that's, I think, and Gil Martin was never going to, that's why they traded him away right. just recently. Um, and, you know, they're six deep. Where's uh, where's Floyd going to fit in there um, unless just things really fall apart? So um, that's that's uh, actually the, probably enough of a damning reason for my positives not to matter. My positives were just that, uh you know, a lot of the control problems he showed last year could have been related to the injury. He was a decent control guy before that. Um, so, you know, if he's going back to his old baseline, maybe he's going back to a better baseline 
and so on and so forth. But um, and I also like uh, picking up pitchers in in deep leagues and especially in like AL labor type leagues. Uh, those guys always there's always unlimited DL slots. There's a lot of uh, uh, fantasy leagues that have unlimited DL slots that are deep. Um, And I love drafting one or two guys out of the draft that you stick in a DL. And even before the season starts, you get in that first free agency period and you buy someone that you slot in instead, um, buy someone to start. So it gives you kind of like that extra roster slot out of the draft. Um, But I don't know if Floyd's that guy for me. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be probably better names in both leagues that are going to be on the DL to start the season. Um, and uh, that I think will be a great post that I'll have to write. You know, a guy, I, a guy that I would take Gavin Floyd over. Uh, I would, I would draft Gavin Floyd before I drafted him. Roberto Hernandez going to Philadelphia. Yeah, this is visual bias because I had to suffer through this piece of crap for all of 2013. <laughs> and I know he's got it. I know he had a 360 xFIP. But I'm telling you, this is this is an outlier. Let's break down. Let me break down Roberto Hernandez for you. He improved this season, uh, this past season, with his strikeouts because the Rays got him to use his changeup a lot. It's something he had very, pretty much ignored in the past. So they got him using that changeup, and you know, between that and benefiting from throwing to Molina a lot and pitch framing, it it kind of worked early on. Then the wheels started falling off, and, and you look at. You know, his hit rate wasn't unlucky. He had a bad bit of 310 last year. You may look at his home run to fly ball rate at 20% and say, oh, my God, you know, that's way too high. Sure, but it was 13% back in 2011 and then before he got uh, – before he had all the issues that caused him to miss most of 2012. But to me, he walks an extremely fine line. If he elevates anything, it gets crushed. That's the, that's the issue with him, and his mechanics aren't sound. So there's a lot of wiggle where the catcher will set up one place and the ball ends up another. He just walks a fine line, and so we look at the home run rate issues and the fact that he had three ten bad bit, but two eighty one batting average against this and the home run uh, fly ball rate. This despite pitching behind an excellent infield defense. I mean, there was four Gold Glove nominees, and all four deserved it on the infield, uh, and a better home ballpark. Now he's going to Philadelphia, which has a uh, their defense outside of Chase Sutley on the infield is not good, and it's Citizens Bank ballpark. So the home and the fly ball ratio really becomes problematic. I When he signed, one of my best friends is a Phillies fan, and he was on a cruise. I just sent him this long email just laughing. LOL, LOL, and just like copied and pasted for six, seven lines. And he got back and, and sent me something full of profanity. But I, no, I'd rather take Gavin Floyd hurt and all coming back than touching this guy. Yeah. I mean, just think about Jimmy Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and Chase Utley is, you know, he's an old man on two degenerative knees. So, um, yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you on that one. I was never that into him anyway because you know his ceiling as a ground ball guy is is uh, pretty low. So just the, uh, the XFIP says, oh, you know, three sixty. I know that he was a, uh, you know, a, a he was barely over replacement. But the XFIP pe- people may say, hey, wait, no, I'm just I'm, I'm more, please don't don't put yourself through the torture. Just don't do it. <laughs> don't don't do it. I think and XFIP is not you know the greatest tool when you have a large sample. I mean. Um, you know, I like it a little bit better with relievers because you could have looked at Axford's XFIP, for example, um, after a couple of weeks and said, you know, he's mostly the same guy. It's a home run rate problem, right? Uh, but 
you're looking at 150 innings where he just gave up home run after home run. You and you look at some, you know, a couple seasons of this where he's done that. I, I'm beginning to. Believe, I I agree with you. I think there's probably a problem there. And you know, for what it's worth, my uh, home run for fly ball rate in the major leagues would not be 10. percent Correct. I, everybody establishes their own baseline. Uh, I'm very right. much a believer of that. And again, just go back if you've got MLB. You know, go watch one of the, the archive games from 2013. One of his last 10 starts. Just go watch the first inning and be like, oh, yeah, I'm not drafting that guy. Uh, somebody is coming back from overseas. Uh, we mentioned Tanaka earlier. This was Tanaka's third baseman last year. Casey McGee is back stateside. He is going to play third base for your Miami Marlins in 2014. Uh, <laughs> I mean... I didn't mean to laugh. I mean, the guy's better at baseball than I am. But uh, it, this Marlins team is so weird. Uh, I guess they maybe they uh, get scared of, of having too low of a salary and having those articles come out where they're like, Marlins are making money and have a $15 million, you know, payroll. Uh, so they buy, you know, a Salty and they buy, you know, McGee and they try to put together a team that will actually play on the on the, on the uh, field. But um, – you know, 2012 was not a good season for him. 2011, not a good season for him. Uh, you have to go all the way back to 2010, and that was part of basically 900 or 1,000 plate appearances that were pretty good that were that came at his peak. And now he's post-peak, and he's uh, three years removed from those years. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, he did have a nice year. If you're a believer in Japanese stats, and, and you shouldn't be, but he ended up with 28 home runs, 58 extra base hits, hit 292, OPS 891. So, you know, and he, he showed more discipline. I mean, they throw a lot of junk over there. He had 70 walks, which is more than he ever had. Uh, it's more than he had over his final two seasons here, last time he was stateside. You know, I don't know. To me, I... I don't want if I'm an NL league. I don't want to end up to the point in the draft where I have to make a decision between somebody else and McGee. Because if I do, I'm gonna or McGee. I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose the other guy. He may be a fantastic guy to interview on the radio. I've heard of some of his interviews on XM. He's cool, but I, no, I don't want to take. I don't want to take this chance and say oh, for a dollar. Let's see what plays out. Could he hit some home runs? Sure, but I you know for a guy that hit 38 home runs over four seasons and then goes to Japan and then comes back, is this going to play out well? I'm going to say no. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, if if it does work out, uh, it's an NL play, um, you know, for for maybe double-digit homers. Uh, he did have a decent contact rate when he was here, so if he did show double-digit homers um, – and uh, and that same old contact rate, then he might be uh, valuable. But, you know, it is worth pointing out that he's a righty. Um, and, you know, as you get older, you get, you know, you fall more into your problems. And, uh, you know, trying to call up his splits here real quick. He was better against lefties. So, um, you know. And they still have Greg Dobbs around, don't they? Right. So, I mean, there, there could be your platoon third base situation. Yippee. Yeah. And that's how they solve uh, third base, which has been uh, their festering sore for decades. Quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. Yep.
right. So we earlier we talked about Danny Valencia going to the Royals. We mentioned that he's a, a lefty crusher, particularly David Price. Of all the David Price has been one of the best pitchers in baseball against left-handed against left-handed hitters. Has had his some issues against righties, but particularly Valencia. Valencia is ten for fifteen against a guy lifetime. There was a particular point last year where they tra- where the Orioles traded for for Valencia from Boston specifically to get him into town before they played the Rays in a crucial series. <laughs> and sure enough, he went three for four against Price. So small sample size, be damned. Uh, he's owned Price. So he is, so probably yeah. Fastballs, huh? Yeah, for whatever reason, he hits him. Yeah, he's very, he's a guy that, he's another guy. If you're a lefty and throwing him a fastball, I don't know what you're doing. So, but he's out there. But so we already talked about him. But the other move, as far as a, a guy who could see more playing time, whether it's good or not is to be debated, but Drew Stubbs is now a member of the Colorado Rockies. And they don't really have a center fielder. I mean, they can move cargo over there, but then they, they, they are missing an outfielder. There's uh there is, there is opportunity there. Uh, but he's also a bit of a platoon guy. Yeah, Big. Uh, he, he has his issues. If you look at him from a splits perspective, you know, he's, he's got contact problems. They're, they're worse off against right-handed pitchers. Uh, you know, his what really stands out to me for him, if you look over his numbers, if you look at his numbers from a, just a, a batting average on balls in play perspective, it is a 60 point difference in his con and the contact. You know, Babbitt's not all luck. It's about how hard you hit the ball. And he definitely hits the ball better against lefties than he does righties. Uh, you know, his weighted on base average 345. This is over a four year sample size. Weighted on base average of 345 against lefties, 288 against righties. It really doesn't, you know, to me, if he gets increased playing time, this is actually going to be detrimental to what he does. His playing time has already been in decline each of the past three seasons with Cleveland and Cincinnati when he was with that fold. So the stolen base has gone from 40 to 30 to 17, played appearances 685, 44, 80. I don't want this guy getting more than 450 at-bats because that means he's facing too many right-handers. That's going to hurt his batting average. And that's why you look at a season – his batting average has been below 250 each of the past three years. Yeah, I think it probably means Corey Dickerson and uh, and Stubbs are in a platoon, almost a straight platoon, and maybe in center field. Um, maybe they put Cargo out there, but I think it would be better for Cargo's health if they didn't. Um, and uh, I think Stubbs can be a center fielder. So you got Corey Dickerson who's, who's shown that. Uh, there's some things to like about Corey Dickerson. Uh, you know, league average strikeout rate, uh, good power, um, you know, not efficient base stealing, but they've let him run. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a guy who, in a platoon situation, could still hit, you know, 275 or better with double digits and homers and steals, be an NL pick. Um, you know, the hard thing about these platoons, though, is you just got to remember if you're in a, in, a, in a weekly lineup situation, you you got to ding these guys pretty hardcore. Um, if you're in a daily lineup situation, then you might be able to find some arbitrage with the Dickerson and Stubbs platoon or or Dickerson and somebody outside of Colorado platoon. Yeah, agreed. Uh, final guy I want to talk about is Joaquin Benoit, who has been signed to pitch for the Padres. Role to be determined. I mean, they, they still have Houston Street. From a skills perspective, in 2013, Benoit owned him, was just better across the board than Street. The three-year sample size makes the numbers more even. How do you see that situation in San Diego breaking out? Yeah, you know, you have to always think about them, you know, in terms of I think they're I think the division is so bad some years 
not always every year, and the Dodgers might be changing things, but the division is often bad. And uh, I think that they go into every year thinking, let's pretend like let's pretend we're going to compete. Let's let's like put together a roster. It's kind of like the Dave Cameron argument. Every, get better every year. Get better on the margins. Get better everywhere you can. And then think about what you might sell off once it becomes obvious that it's not your year. So, um, you know, with a rotation that has Kashner and Kennedy and Lukey, you know, in it, I kind of like that. And there's a lot of depth in terms of uh, starting pitching. They've got a ton of depth. And they've got a ton of depth all over this team. In some ways, it has things in common with Oakland, where platoons everywhere, lots of depth. Guys can come in if people get hurt. But, you know, if things fall apart, I think Houston Street is either jettisoned or, 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 or put on the DL with a fake injury or, or put on the DL with a real injury. He goes on the DL all the time um, and, you know, loses the job. But maybe going into the season – you know, it makes the most sense to keep him in the role because he's been okay. He's going to be healthy to start the season, at least, hopefully. And uh, that gives him more trade value if things fall apart. Agreed with all that. I'm I'm a big Benoit fan. The skills are definitely there. He showed it last year once he got the opportunity that he could handle the role. For for me, let's get him. The, I, for, if I were the GM, I'd give him the role from day one and, and put Houston Street in the trading block. If the Phillies think they can trade Jonathan Papelbon and his contract, Surely you can trade Houston Street. I would be surprised if Houston Street is in a Padres uniform on August first if they're a competitive team. Or if they're, right. yeah, I mean, right. if they're not, he's gone. If they're competitive, he still may be there. But that—that's a guy that definitely has to be moved. That would definitely be moved. But I'm—I'm a, I'm a fan of the Benoit signing. I thought if you compare it to the Tigers who gave two twenty to Nathan to fill the role that Benoit just signed for, you know, two fifteen and a half, I think. Is Nathan worth worth the extra four and a half million dollars being three years older? To me, no. And I would have tried to go not, back and get they, Benoit. Yeah, especially not if you can get Benoit and then use the savings from Nathan to to buy Thornton instead of Chamberlain. You know, and and you know if you you know the waterfall effect of that money that you could have used and used because they needed to buy a whole bullpen. They didn't need to buy a closer. They had a closer. They needed to buy the rest of the bullpen. Um, so I agree with you on that. Um, yeah, maybe I'm not giving GMs enough credit. Maybe it doesn't matter if Houston Street is the current closer. We have enough of a track record showing that he can be the closer. And it doesn't matter to other GMs whether Houston Street or uh, Benoit is closing at that moment, maybe. Uh, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I, I, do, I do agree. Benoit, I think, is the better pitcher right now. He's definitely a better bet to stay healthy all year. He's got a better strikeout rate, better almost everything. Except for one little funny thing that Houston Street that is catching my eye right now, he had a ninety nine point five percent strike uh, strand rate last year. Hmm? He almost did every single batter that was on base against him. <laughs> but of course, that doesn't mean anything. But uh, it is uh, it is maybe the highest number I've ever seen. It's over fifty six innings. I think I might have a one of those uh, January sixth articles on my hands. Right How here. is that even possible? Huh? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm looking at – you would expect – there's got to be some kind of computation error there, though. I mean, how would that he have a – because how, he, he didn't have 200 batters on against him, did he? I mean, he if he had 100 batters on him, he stranded half of one guy? How, how would you – yeah, I mean, how would you have a 270 ERA? <laughs> we got to – this has got to be a – yeah, that I just – I see what you're talking about. That has to be an error. There's no way – I mean, his ERA would be like .5 if he stranded that many guys. Well, yeah. I mean, unless it was all homers. I mean, he did give up two. Uh, look at that. He gave up two homers. So they were all solo homers. 
Yeah, you get two homers for nine. Oh, you got twelve home runs last year. So they were all maybe they were all solo homers. That's still insanity. <laughs> I know. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> that that's still insanity. I, I can't believe that hasn't come up yet. Um, yeah, I, I actually was looking at Houston Street for something I was doing. Uh, maybe one of the articles I want to see because I remember looking at his home, talking about his home run rate, uh, and he did give up ten solo shots. So how did he strand 99.5%? Like I said, got to be an error somewhere. Well, I'll ask, I'll ask the dark overlord about that. But. <laughs> the other, uh, I just one more move because it only relates to the Padres. They traded Jesus Guzman to the Astros. To me, it, I mean, Guzman now becomes a, an intriguing ale, only deep league kind of guy just because he'll get the playing time in Houston. Uh, but that also frees up some of that depth chart. I've been talking about this. If you follow me on Twitter, you know, I've been railing on this for a while. The Padres have a ton of outfielders on their depth chart. Obviously, with only three places to play, they had, when I looked before this deal, they had nine different guys on their 40-man roster that had played in the outfield for them in the past, five of which were right-handed. So now they're down to four. But even with this trade, we're still talking about Blanks, Denorfia, Maben, Quentin, Seth Smith, Venable. That doesn't even include Amarista, who could play infield and outfield. That doesn't include Reimer Liriano, who's coming back from Tommy John surgery. Raymond Fuentes. I mean, all these guys are in the fold. You only have so many, so much roster spot. There may be another deal here, but at least it clears up a little bit of room because Jesus Guzman was out of options as somebody they would have had to waive, but he was on the depth chart, so now he's gone. So things get a little more clear in San Diego, but not too much. So, so tell me where you think he plays. Um, you're thinking Chris Carter's the DH. Absolutely, yeah, full-time DH. So, so Guzman is in the mix for right field with Hose and Kraus or first base against Wallace? I think more first base because he, he does he's played that in the past. I think you know, Wallace doesn't need to be playing against lefties. So at the at worst, you, you plug him in there a little bit. And then you give him some time, possibly in left field, where just about anybody can play um, over there. But that's where he gets. That's where he could get some playing time. Intriguing bat. I like the pickup uh, from Houston's perspective. It gives them somebody who has a little bit of offensive potential, but uh, it, it clears up some more playing time in San Diego. If you're trying to project, if you're an only um, owner trying to project where playing time is out there, you're looking and go, where the hell are they going to get all these plate appearances for these guys? You you have to keep them fresh. You just can't say, okay, I'm going to keep six guys and then give them one day a week. That's just not the way it works. Right. You know, back to the Astros, last thing. Actually, you know, I had Wallace in AL Labor last year, and, I, you know, that that sucked. Um, and, it, it, you know, his strikeout rate is just ballooning, and it's getting ridiculous. So I feel like, um, you know, Singleton, uh, I don't think he's going to start the year. They're going to give him a lot of time, so – uh, there is a chance that Guzman carves out more of a role and, and maybe even becomes a starter at first base. I mean, they've, they've given up on Wallace before. So I don't think that Wallace is uh, necessarily a, a part of the future. And uh, I think there could be something there. I think uh, of the two, I might pick Guzman. I mean, even though Guzman's on the wrong side, he's on the short side of the platoon, I, I just, I, I'm that down on Brett Wallace. Yeah, fair enough. I, I'm not a big fan of him, him either. I'm just still kind of stunned at the 99.5% strain rate on Houston Street. <laughs> I, I, I like, how is that possible? Right. 
figure that one out for you. <laughs> yeah, that definitely needs to be an article in and of itself. So um, that's all we have for this week because basically it's all moves, nothing else to describe yet. It's probably going to be very quiet here over the next week. Um, I know if we're going to record again, it's probably not going to be until the new year because I'm on vacation starting the 26th uh, through the 31st, and then New Year's Day is a holy day of football because my University of Central Florida Knights are in a BCS game. So I am going to be completely distracted. So if we do another recording, it will not be until at least January 2nd. So, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Sounds like uh, trading places. Yeah. Uh, there we go. So, if you have anything, if you can always uh, – how should people try to reach us if they want us to talk about anything? Twitter? Or we have an Twitter's email inbox? Yeah. yeah, and we promise we, we do have to talk. Uh, somebody hit us up with something, and I, we forgot to talk about it. But, um, yeah, hit us up again on Twitter, and we'll uh, and we'll, we'll try to talk about or it. Or post – the. you can always use the comment section as we post yeah. on the – as we post we, in the site, put just the put something down there. We'll make sure we get it included. We just had so many transactions to review today. We didn't want this to go uh, too much longer. All right. Thanks, everyone.